Hey everyone, how are you today? My name is Taylor and this is Morbid Academy. Thank you for tuning in to the, what, fourth episode of Spoopy Month? I don't know. I realized the other day that me saying this is like trying to be spooktacular for Halloween month. It's a true crime and paranormal morbid podcast. Like how creepier can I get? Anyway, that doesn't matter. Little housekeeping. Um, please rate and review the podcast wherever you do that. It really helps me out. Share it with all your friends. Share it with everybody who loves true crime and paranormal and everything morbid in between. Share it, share it, share it. Thank you so much. Also, if you are having any trouble listening to the episodes, specifically episode 14 through 18, please let me know. Either DM me on Instagram at Morbid Academy. You can email me at morbidacademy at gmail.com. I noticed recently that some of the podcast apps don't have the latest episodes for some reason. I think I got it all figured out. I went over and checked all the ones that my podcast is on and I think I need to hear back from one other person but I think we're all good but if you're still having trouble please 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 let me know and I will try my best to get it all sorted out. Now let's get into this week's episode. This week I'm covering the tragic murder of Cassie Jo Stoddart aka the scream murder. Cassie's murder was dubbed the Scream Murder because it was believed that it inspired the Scream franchise, except that the original Scream movie came out in 1996, which was 10 years before the murder, so no. However, the killers did say that the movie inspired them. At least one of them. We'll get to that. It's not tasteful the way that people dubbed this, but... Anyway, let's talk about Cassie first. She was born December 21st, 1989 in Pocatello, Idaho. She was the middle child with an older sister and a younger brother. She was a junior at Pocatello High School at the time of her death, and she liked to draw and listen to music. Those who knew her said that she was a role model teen. She didn't drink, she didn't do drugs, smoke, whatever. She was a straight A student. She was a role model teen. And according to her family, she led a normal life. In 2016, 10 years after her murder, quote, I just miss having my sister right here, a grade above me. I felt like I was always a step behind her, looking up to her. She really was a role model. She was really smart, doing good, and had a lot going for her, end quote. That's so sad. Just want to hug him. I want to hug her whole family. I want to hug her. This case, by the way, pisses me off. It's like... It's up there with the Tyler Hadley case that pissed me off to no end. And that still pisses me off to this day. It will always piss me off because, oh my God, until he dies, it will piss me off. This case will piss me off until these fuckers die because dumbasses. <gasps> Maybe the podcast should just be called Dumbass. No, never mind. Back to the story. In the spring of 2006, Cassie had started dating fellow classmate Matt Beckham and they were happy in love they were boyfriend girlfriend oh no i didn't find a lot on like their actual relationship they had been dating for about five months before she died 
She had started working as a babysitter to earn money to buy her own car, and not far from where she lived was her aunt and uncle, Allison and Frank Contreras, and their three children. They had moved to Idaho from the Bay Area in California, and Cassie would babysit the younger kiddos. In September 2006, her aunt and uncle asked her if she could come house sit for them while they were away for a weekend. And Cassie was like, awesome, I got this, I can do this, I will show that I am an independent woman. I got this. Those are my words, not hers, but she said yes. So this house is a it's pretty good size, kind of creepy if you're alone, I'm guessing, but for me, if I'm alone in any house, I can get creeped out real easily. But anyway, September 22nd, 2006, Cassie asked her aunt if Matt could come over and hang out. Her aunt said that was fine. Cassie was a good kid. She trusted her. Cool. So Matt comes over around 6 p.m. and they hang out for about an hour, hour and a half. And two other classmates show up that Matt invited, Brian Draper and Tori Adamchick. They all knew each other from high school. Matt said that they were friends. Matt knew Tori better, I believe that's what he said. And Cassie knew them, but at this time, Cassie was not thrilled that Matt had invited them, especially without him asking her, which, yeah. Because she had only asked if Matt could come over and she didn't want anything happening, which makes sense. But Matt assured her that nothing was gonna happen. They were just gonna hang out, that's it. So that's what they did. They hung out, started watching a movie, and about two hours later, Brian and Tori were like, yo, this is boring. We're out. See you later. Again, my words, not theirs. But they did say that they were, they were bored. They were going to go see a movie. See you bye. And about 15 minutes after they left, the power went out. Loud noises could be heard coming from the basement, which obviously freaked both Matt and Cassie out. And then Matt noticed that one of the dogs was staring down the basement stairs and barking and growling. The dog would bark at the stairs, then come back. Yeah, no thank you. Cassie wanted Matt to spend the night, which, I mean, yeah, I would too. I don't want to be alone there, especially with the lights out. Uh-uh. Because she was scared. She felt safer with him. Duh. So Matt calls his mom, hoping that she would allow it, but she said no. However, she said that Cassie could come stay the night with them, which was reasonable. I mean, I thought that was awesome. But Cassie unfortunately declined saying that she needed to stay for the pets. Again, reasonable, responsible, makes sense. I would have left those animals. They're fine. The animals are fine. Spoiler alert. It's not really a spoiler alert, but the animals are fine. I would have left them and come back in the morning. They're fine. They're fine. Anyway, so Matt is picked up by his mom around 10 30 or 11 p.m and cassie was left alone two days later on september 24th the Contreras arrive home cassie's 13 year old cousin was the first to enter the home she noticed that the door was unlocked which she thought was kind of weird but i guess maybe not completely out of the ordinary because she just walked in and didn't think much about it then she went into the living room and started screaming there was blood everywhere and Cassie's body lay on the floor next to the couch. 
Police were immediately called and they couldn't find any signs of forced entry, suggesting that Cassie had let the killers in, possibly knew them, and burglary was ruled out as a motive because none of the family's things were missing and the dogs and cats had been locked in a separate room unharmed. The autopsy showed that Cassie had been stabbed 30 times with about 12 of them being fatal. It showed that two different knives were used as well. One was serrated and had inflicted 11 of the 12 potentially fatal wounds. And the other was a single blade, non-serrated knife, which inflicted one potentially fatal wound. It was estimated that she had been dead for two days before she was found. So of course, Matt was the first person on the suspect list because he was the last person to see her alive. And the attack was brutal, complete overkill, which is often seen in a, quote, frenzied attack perpetrated by someone who knows the victim, end quote. So Matt was taken in for questioning. He wasn't emotional. He wasn't acting like his girlfriend had just been brutally murdered or like, hey, that could have been me. I was there that night. I could have died. But shock and grief comes differently in people. So it's not unlikely that he's just in shock. And he was more than eager to help find whoever killed his girlfriend. He gave the cops absolutely everything, detailing how he spent the evening with Cassie along with Brian and Tori. Matt said that the two of them had left early to go see a movie and when he had left Cassie, he called Tori to see where they were so they could hang out, but he could barely hear him because Tori was whispering like maybe they were in a movie and trying to be quiet. Which, what the hell? What are you doing? Answering your phone in a movie theater. Spoiler alert, he was not in the movie, but still. So now let's talk about these two dumbasses. Brian Draper was born March 21st, 1990, and Tori Adamchick was born June 14th, 1990. Honestly, I couldn't find anything on either of their upbringings. They were best friends and pretty much felt like outcasts. That was it nothing of note whatsoever. They both loved movies. They dubbed themselves movie buffs. Same. Especially horror movies. Same. But they were fascinated with the Scream franchise, which going to Billy Loomis in the first Scream, he said, quote, don't you blame the movies. Movies don't create psychos. Movies make psychos more creative, end quote. And Tori took that to friggin' heart. I guess with that, you have to look at the nature versus nurture thing. I mean, I love horror movies, but I'm not out killing people like a horror movie. I just watched Halloween Kills, which is now on the top of my favorite movie list because, oh my God, that's a fan-freaking-tastic movie, but I'm not going to go out there killing people like freaking Michael Myers. No. But if you're already a psychopath, I don't know if these two are psychopaths, but dumbasses. I think they're too much, they're too dumbassery. Yes, dumbassery. They have too much dumbassery in themselves to be psychopaths, I think. They literally just said to themselves, let's make a fucking movie. And that was it. The end. 
Also, Brian was completely obsessed and fascinated with the Columbine high school shooting of 1999. He wanted that fame that those jackasses got, and he felt like they were heroes of the outcasts, which they definitely weren't. They were just fucking jackasses. But this, this is what Brian wanted. And somehow both Brian and Tori found each other and were like, dude, let's start killing. And ta-da! So Tori was the one who wanted to be like the killers in Scream. He wanted to scare people, most of all, on a smaller level, I guess. And Brian wanted to go out in a complete blaze of fucking glory. And they ended up going with Tori's idea, I guess. People who went to high school with these guys said that they were always filming, like vlogging before vlogging was a thing. They filmed absolutely everything and they often talked about wanting to make their own horror movie, which is cool. I wanted to do that too. But they were talking about their plan to actually murder people. Not movie murder people, no. Actually freaking murder people. And of course, kids around them heard them. They heard what they were talking about. But if they were questioned or like noticed somebody, they would just say like something that, oh, it's a movie script. We're talking about a movie, blah, blah, blah. Why didn't anybody say, yo, these people need to go to the counselor. These guys need fucking therapy. See something, hear something, say something. And this wasn't just like premeditation from the night before. This started in August. Tori called up a guy named Joe Lacero and asked him if he would buy some knives from a pawn shop for them. According to a student, Tori had a collection of knives, which I don't think is very surprising for a teenage boy. I think I knew a couple of them who like liked knives, but whatever. Also, he's 16, so he can't go to the pawn shop himself. And this guy, Joe, was 18. So Tori and Brian went with him to the pawn shop and Brian gave him 45 bucks to buy four knives. Now, like I said before, Brian and Tori filmed everything. Dumbasses. When the videos were found during investigation, a couple videos stood out above the rest. And you can actually read the full transcripts online, which is kind of cool. And we're going to talk about a couple of them. Actually, much pretty, pretty much all of them. This is the transcript from a video from around 8.05 p.m. on September 21st, the night before the murder. Tori is driving and Brian is in the passenger seat filming. Brian, we're going for a high death count. Tori, plus we're not going to get caught, Brian. If we're going for guns, we're just going to end it. We're just going to grab the guns and get out of there and kill everybody and leave. Brian, we're going to make history. We're going to make history. Tori, for all you FBI agents watching this, Brian starts laughing, uh, you weren't quick enough, laughs. Are you fucking kidding me? You really think FBI agents are going to be watching you? Dude, it doesn't even get to the FBI, dumbass. It continues, Brian, you weren't quick enough and you weren't smart enough. And we're going over to Jane Doe number one's house. The name of the person is redacted, so it just says Jane Doe one's house. We're going to snoop around there and try to see if she's home alone or not. And if she's home, splat, she did. Tori, don't put your humor into this, Brian. 
Brian. Uh, I'm not putting any humor into it. Yep, people will die and memories will fade. Tori, memories will fade. Hmm, I wonder what movie you got that from, Brian. Brian, myself. Tori laughs. That was for myself. Tori, no wonder it was so lame. Brian, okay, we're on our way. And I'm gonna, I'll let you stay tuned. We're almost there. So yeah, going back a little bit, Jane Doe number one. Yes, they planned to murder not just Cassie, but multiple people. They had a, quote, death list of like eight or ten people or something like that. But it just wasn't the, quote, right time, end quote. And unfortunately, Cassie was just in the right place at the right time for them. Wrong place, wrong time for her, obviously. So they go to Jane Doe number one's house and snoop around, but she wasn't home. So they get back in the car and talk to the camera again, saying that they were going to call Cassie and Matt that, quote, they're our friends, but we have to make sacrifices, end quote. Around 8.15, they get to Cassie's house. Brian says, now we're going over to Cassie and Matt's house. If they're home alone, we're gonna, Tori, it's Cassie's house. Matt is there, Brian. Matt is there, sorry. We're gonna, we're gonna knock on the door. We'll see who's there. We'll, we'll see, we'll see if their parents are home or not. If they're home alone, we'll leave our way. Then we will come back in about 10 minutes. We'll sneak in through the door because chances are they're probably in Cassie's room. So we'll sneak in the front door. We'll make a noise outside. Tori and Matt will come out to investigate. Brian will kill him and we'll scare the shit out of Cassie. Okay? Tori, sounds like fun. Brian, well, stay tuned. I'm telling you, these guys piss me off so much. Around 8.36 p.m., they get back in the car and Brian is filming again. Brian, we found our victim. And sad as it may be, that's our friend. But you know what? We all have to make sacrifices. Our first victim is going to be Cassie Stoddard and her friends. We'll find out if she has friends over, if she's going to be alone in a big dark house in the middle of the nowhere. How perfect can you get? I mean, like, holy shit, dude. Tori, I'm horny just thinking about it. What the fuck? Seriously? You're disgusting. Brian says, hell yeah. So we're going to fucking kill her and her friends and we're going to keep moving on. I heard some news about Jane Doe too. She's going to be home alone from six to seven. So we might kill her and drive over to Cassie's thing and scare the shit out of them and kill them one by fucking one. Hell yeah. Tori, why one by one? Why can't it be a slaughterhouse? Brian, two by two and three by three, because we've got to keep it classy. Tori, keep it classy. Brian, so yeah, it's going to be extra fun. Tori, you're evil. Brian, yes I am, so are you dude. Evil, evil. Tori, no, evil is an expression of God. That's another test you failed. Brian, evil is not an expression of God. Tori, yes it is. Brian, that is bullshit and you know it. Tori, evil of origin is a follower of fucking Satan. Brian, there is no Satan. Tori, is Satan real? Then shut up. Brian, then how are we supposed to express ourselves? Tori, good and bad. Brian, we're, we're bad. Tori, we are bad. Brian, that sounds so shitty. Tori, we're evil. That sounds even shittier. Brian, hey, we're not, okay. Then we are six psychopaths who get their pleasure off killing other people. Tori, that sounds good, baby. 
Brian, we're going to go down in history. We're going to be just like Scream, except real life terms. Tori, that sounds good, baby. Brian, we're going to be murderers. Like, let's see, Ted Bundy, like the Hillside Strangler. Tori, no. Brian, the Zodiac Killer. Tori, those people were more amateurs compared to what we're going to be. We're going to be more like higher sources of Ed Gein. I'm sorry. First of all, that sounds good, baby. What the fuck? Second of all, you think that Ted Bundy, the Hillside Strangler, and the Zodiac are amateurs? They would kick your ass in a second if they met you. They're smarter than you too. The Zodiac, I mean, the Zodiac wasn't caught, people. I think, like, last week, as of October 2021, they finally figured out who it was, and he died in 2018. So shut up, you dumbasses. He thinks Ed Gein is better than those guys, you dumbasses. So Brian laughs at that and says, well, let's say that we're sick and that twisted... Tori interrupts him saying, oh, you know what Ed Gein's words were? Brian, what? Tori, he saw a girl walking down the street, right? Two questions came to his head. Hmm, I could take her out and have a nice time with her. Brian, and then kill her? Skin her alive? Tori, charm the pants off her. Or I wonder what her head would look like on a stick. Laughs. Brian, laughs. Holy shit. Tori, it's creepy, huh? Brian, kick ass. Both laugh. Brian, murderous power. Murderous freedom. Goodbye. These guys piss me off so much. I... I don't even know what to say other than they're dumbasses and they piss me off. So the next day, Friday, September 22nd, they're at school and walk right up to Cassie at her locker, still filming, and Brian says, hey, look, it's Cassie. Hello, Cassie. She says hello, and then Brian laughs and says, I'm getting you on tape. Okay, say hi, please. And she says hi again, which I think is just so fucking messed up. Because you, you know they're literally doing that for like a scene in a movie. The next video clip comes from about 12 p.m. that same day. Brian and Tori are at a table with the camera facing them. Tori is writing in a notebook and they're talking about how they're going to kill and writing out their quote, death list. Near the end of the clip, Brian says, Hopefully this will go smoothly and we can get our first kill done and then keep going. Tori says, for you future serial killers watching this tape, they both laugh. Tori says, I don't know what to say. Because you're a dumbass and didn't plan out your fucking monologue. Tori continues, good luck with that. Brian, good luck. Tori, hopefully you don't have like eight or nine failures like we have. Speaking of their whole murder list and they haven't been able to kill anybody. Brian, yeah, we've probably tried maybe 10 times but they've never been home alone. So, Tori, or when they have, their sh their parents show up. Brian, as long as you're patient, you know, and we were patient and now we're getting paid off because our victim's home alone. So we got uh, our plan all worked out now. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Cassie's family, but she had to be the one. We have to stick with the plan and she's perfect. So she's gonna die. Laughs. Are you fucking kidding me? Maybe this actually pisses me off more than the Tyler Hadley case. I don't know. Anyway, 
Now we're back to the night of September 22nd. Cassie is at her aunt and uncle's house for the weekend. She invites Matt over, who then invites Brian and Tori. The boys arrive at the house between 6.30 and 7 p.m. and are given a tour of the house by Cassie, including the basement where Brian unlocks the door to the backyard. The four of them return to the living room, start watching a movie about halfway through around 10 p.m. Brian and Tori leave, saying that they're bored and going to see a movie. Back in the car, Brian turns the camera on and says, The time is 9.50, September 22nd, 2006. Unfortunately, we have the grueling task of killing our two friends, and they're right in that house just down the street. Tori, we just talked to them. We were there for an hour, but... Brian, we check out the whole house. We know there's lots of doors. There, There's lots of places to hide. I unlocked the back doors. It's all unlocked. Now we just gotta wait and yep, we're really nervous right now, but you know, we're ready. 15 minutes later, Brian and Tori put on masks and gloves and grabbed their knives. They went into the basement and hid in a small room where the circuit breaker was. They turned off the power and made loud noises intending to lure Matt into the basement. But when no one came down, they turned the lights back on. After they heard Matt leave, they turned off the power again, hoping once again to lure Cassie to the basement. But when that didn't work, they go upstairs and stab Cassie to death. Once again, the camera comes on around 11.32 p.m. and Brian and Tori are back in the car. Brian, just killed Cassie. We just left her house. This is not a fucking joke. Tori, I'm shaking. Brian, I stabbed her in the throat and I saw her lifeless body. It just disappeared. Dude, I just killed Cassie. Tori, oh my god. Brian, oh, oh fuck. That felt like it wasn't even real. I mean, it went by so fast. Tori, shut the fuck up. We have to get our act straight. Brian, it's okay, okay? We'll we'll just buy movie tickets now. Tori, okay. So remember that. Remember that Brian literally said he killed and stabbed Cassie. And now we're all cut up, right? Two days later, September 24th, Cassie's body's found. Police are questioning Matt, pressing him for whatever he can tell because he's the boyfriend, the last one to see Cassie alive. But the more they questioned, the more that their suspicions lifted. Matt tells them that they were also hanging out with Brian and Tori, who had left early. Detectives Thomas and Gansky, they go to Tori's house where they interview him with his father present because he's 16 years old. Tori tells them that he and Brian went to the house on Friday for a party, and when it became apparent that there wasn't a party, they left to go see a movie. When the detectives asked Tori about the movie, the dumbass wasn't able to tell them anything about it. What the fuck? You planned this murder, multiple murders actually, and didn't bother to figure out the movie, which was your fucking alibi? Also, neither of them even were able to get a movie ticket for any movie that day. Really? Really? And Brian wasn't able to discuss the movie either. Dumbasses. According to the Idaho court records, Brian's first interview with investigators wasn't recorded and he wasn't in custody. It does say that Brian told them that he and Tori had gone to see a movie, but it was too late to see the original one, so they decided to see the movie Pulse. But again, he wasn't able to describe the plot at all. Tuesday, September 26th, Brian was brought back to the police station along with his parents, again, because he's 16, but they weren't in the room and he was questioned again. 
Initially, Brian maintains that he and Tori went to the movies, but when the investigator told him he didn't believe him, he changed his story to him and Tori, quote, going through cars, which I guess means breaking into cars, and just said that they went to the movies to cover their ass. Again, the investigator said that the story wasn't convincing, but Brian insisted it was the truth. Then he left with his parents. After this interview, a detective went to Brian's house and were given permission by his parents and by Brian to search Brian's room for gloves and other items related to Cassie's murder. And they found a knife sheath. No knife, just the sheath that the knife was supposed to be in. Brian said that it belonged to a friend and he didn't know where the knife was, but that he thought his friend had it. Brian's third interview was conducted on Wednesday, September 27th, this time with his parents present. At this point, Brian admitted that he and Tori unlocked the door to the basement so that they could return to scare Matt and Cassie. He said that they wore masks, black clothing, and gloves and carried knives with them. Brian said that when Matt left, they went upstairs and that Tori was the one who stabbed Cassie. He told investigators he thought Tori was joking in order to scare him and only later realized that Cassie was actually being stabbed. Brian denied ever touching or stabbing Cassie. He also stated that he had talked to Tori earlier that day and Tori had threatened to kill him if he ever told the truth. Then he agreed to show the officers where they had disposed of the evidence. Yes, he completely denied that he touched Cassie at all. And now he's going to go show them where they bear the evidence. Remember how I said there were court transcripts and I just read them to you? About how he literally stated, like screamed in the car to the video camera that he killed Cassie? Yeah. Dumbass. Back to they buried the evidence. At some point after killing Cassie, the boys had gone to Black Rock Canyon to try and burn some of the evidence and then bury it. And just to keep things clear, Brian has had three interviews at this point, and Tori has only had one. Brian took investigators to the spot where they buried the evidence in the Black Rock Canyon area, where they uncovered everything they needed to put these fuckers for life. They found a box of matches, a melted brown bottle of hydrogen peroxide, a pair of black boots, a pair of blue latex gloves, a pair of Athletic Works brand fingerless gloves, a partially melted multicolored mask, a red and white mask, which DNA later revealed a partial DNA profile for Tori on it, a larger dagger style knife and sheath, a silver and black handled knife, a small dagger style knife and sheath, a black handled serrated folding knife, which DNA testing later revealed Cassie's blood on it, a partially burned piece of paper with writing on it, which turned out to be the note that Tori had been writing in the video, a single black glove, which DNA revealed a partial profile for an unknown male, a pair of partially burned black Puma brand gloves, which DNA tested revealed Cassie's blood in them, a blue plastic garbage bag, a partially burned black Hagger brand shirt, a Calvin Klein black shirt with Cassie's blood on it, a white and gray sock, and a small piece of black cord. So of course, Brian is arrested at this point. And when Tori is interviewed for the second time, he tells detectives Gansky and Thomas that he and Brian arrived at Cassie's aunt and uncle's around 8 or 8.30 
got a tour of the home, then watched a part of a movie, left around 10, and then started breaking into cars. He said that he received multiple calls from Matt, and in the last one, Matt said his mom was picking him up. Tori stated that he and Brian returned to Tori's house around 11.20 p.m. and didn't leave for the rest of the night. But Detective Gansky informed him that there were witnesses that had seen him at a convenience store. And Tori said probably something like, oh, yeah, um, Brian needed matches for his smokes. My words, not his, but he did say that they had to go because Brian needed matches. Eventually, Tori admits that they went to Black Rock Canyon, but that was it. At the end of the interview, the detectives informed Tori that they found the evidence and pressured him to tell the truth. Tori then asked to speak to an attorney, and the detectives left the room immediately, and Tori spoke with his father, Sean. After their private meeting, the detectives came back in and arrested Tori. On Thursday, September 28th, Brian is interviewed for a fourth time, this time without his parents, which he did give consent to do so. In this interview, Brian repeats that Tori was the only one who stabbed Cassie. Again, the police have the videotapes of him literally yelling that he's the one who killed Cassie and stabbed her in the throat. So, dumbass. But then one officer asked if Brian stabbed Cassie to stop Tori from turning on him, and Brian nodded. He admitted to stabbing Cassie four times in the leg and chest. He said that Tori told him, quote, you need to stab her, you need to stab her, end quote. About 13 minutes into the interview, Brian asked for his parents, and the interview is ended. So Brian and Tori were both charged with one count of first-degree murder and one count of conspiracy to commit first-degree murder. Their trials were separated, so one for each, dumbass. And it was also decided that they would be tried as adults due to the, quote, gruesome and horrific nature of the murder. Brian's trial began in April 2006, in which he wanted to suppress his fourth interview because his parents weren't present. But it was denied because he had voluntarily waived his rights to remain silent and his parents did not unequivocally invoke Brian's right to counsel. Tory's trial began in May 2007, where he stuck by his defense of not knowing that Brian was actually planning on killing Cassie. He thought it was just part of their movie. In both trials, the prosecution claimed that the boy's motive for killing Cassie and planning on killing others was all for fame and notoriety, and used their own words in the videotapes against them, which is pretty easy to do, I think. Again, it came out in court that Brian was fascinated by the Columbine High School assholes, feeling like he could relate to them and, quote, wanted to create chaos and destruction of the same magnitude that they did, end quote. On April 17th, 2007, Brian Draper was found guilty of first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit first-degree murder. On June 8th, 2007, Tori Adamchik was also found guilty of first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit first-degree murder. On August 21st, 2007, they were both sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole, plus 30 years for conspiracy to commit murder. Hell yes. And of course, Brian and Tori both tried to appeal their convictions, but Brian seemed a lot more accepting of his punishment, whereas Tori, not so much. He continued to uphold his innocence with his family firmly behind him. To this fucking day, they don't believe he had anything. I don't know if it's anything, 
but they don't believe he killed her. I'm sorry, did you see them? The, did you watch the film? Did you, did, did you hear the transcript? Because your son literally said he was gonna help Brian murder Cassie. Those aren't the words, but how? How? In Brian's appeal, his attorney tried to get his conviction vacated or at least to be given a limited life sentence that would allow him to be up for parole after 30 years. His attorney said that due to Brian's immaturity and poor judgment as a youth at the time, he deserved a chance for release. Which, hell to the fucking no. He deserves to rot in prison. Complete premeditation for at least a month before the murder, along with multiple others. So thankfully that appeal was denied, but they did throw out the conspiracy charge, which I personally think is fucking ridiculous. They planned on killing like at least eight other people. And they even said that they had gone to Jane Doe one's house to see if she was alone. And if she was alone, they were going to murder her. Thankfully, she wasn't home. Tori's attorney argued that his punishment was cruel and unusual, given that he was 16 at the time of the murder. Bullshit. He also said that there was a lack of evidence that Tori actually stabbed Cassie, or that if he did stab her, none of his would have been the fatal ones. What? How do you know that? There are 11 from one knife that were potentially the fatal ones, and one from the other knife that was the fatal one. Just bullshit on all that. Again, that appeal was denied, so fuck you, Tori. But he didn't stop there. In July 2015, he was granted a hearing for post-conviction relief because his attorney claimed that his former attorney didn't call character witnesses. I don't know how that would have helped, but in March 2016, his request was denied. He appealed that to the state Supreme Court and it was denied in 2017. But he appealed that decision, and in 2019, U.S. Magistrate Judge Candy Dale ruled that the evidence supported his murder conviction, which, duh. And in May 2020, Tory repealed this ruling to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, and I couldn't find anything on that ruling about this. According to the docket report, it was last retrieved on June 2nd, 2020. What? Ever that means, basically, I don't know, but I highly doubt that the request will be granted. And now both Brian Draper and Tori Adamchik are serving their life sentences without parole at the Idaho State Correctional Institution, and I hope they fucking rot in there. Ugh, this case just pisses me off so much. Like, what the fuck? Complete dumbasses, all for fucking fame. And absolutely no remorse. They had no remorse whatsoever, at least from what I read. I couldn't find anything saying that they had a slight bit of remorse. So, and that is the murder of Cassie Jo Stoddart, also known as the Scream Murder, which I don't, I don't like that title because it's just, I don't think it's tasteful. Although I don't think a name for the murder is tasteful, but I don't know. They, I get it though. They wanted fame, like the people and whatever. It's all just fucked up, but that is the case. 
that is the story. And thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. I always feel weird saying that after I've talked about somebody being brutally murdered. Please rate and review the podcast. It really helps me out. Rate it wherever you do the thing. I recently found that I got my first review on Apple Podcasts, which I think is kind of funny because it's a one-star review that says, weird, um, what's wrong with the episodes? I don't think that's verbatim, but... I think it's when the episodes weren't working, but when I looked at the episodes, they all seemed to be working fine. So I'm not entirely sure. So please go rate and review so that I get a better rating and reviews, please. And thank you. If you know what they're talking about, please let me know because I have no idea. And I want to make sure that people listen and people like the, people like the podcast. So please let me know if there's anything wrong with the episodes and I will do my best to fix it. And please write and review so people like me. Because likes equal love, right? It's not true, but it is. But it's not. But it is. Anyway, as always, you can find Morbid Academy wherever you get your podcasts with new episodes out on Fridays and videos out on Saturdays on YouTube and Facebook. Please consider donating to patreon.com slash morbidacademy. Or if you would like to make like a one-time donation of your choosing, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash morbidacademy. Again, that is buymeacoffee.com slash morbidacademy. You don't actually have to buy me a coffee. It's just another like Patreon type thing, but you can like donate your choosing basically. Speaking of donations, I would like to thank Tom Rossi for recently donating. So thank you. Check out the merch at morbidacademymerch.com. You can follow along on Instagram and Facebook at Morbid Academy. Please let me know what you would like me to cover in future episodes and tell me your creepy, creepy stories. Send those over to morbidacademy at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you keep it creepy, friends. Bye-bye. <laughs>